All right. How's everyone doing? Give it up for our youth ministry right here. See, what you guys, what you parents don't understand is that when, when, the, when the kids are at camp, they, they're like animals. I mean, whether it's the, the youth camp or whether it's teen camp, whenever the, the, the music is happening, they're like jumping up and down. They don't care what anybody thinks about them. They're singing with all their hearts. I mean, these guys rock it out. And they're not afraid to, to show their heart before their peers or before adults. And I think it takes great courage to do that. And I appreciate our youth ministry. I appreciate Mike and Ayumi Mead and the work that they do. I appreciate the vision that we have here in the Lighthouse Church. It's been so exciting just talking about vision for the last several weeks. There's like a buzz in the air. You know, last night, uh, my wife and I, along with Peter and Laura, uh, we got together and had what we called a vision dinner and invited several couples to come over and uh, we, we, we had dinner together and we just talked about vision. And it was so exciting because when you talk about vision, it just kind of get, gets the gets your innards going. It gets you excited about life, and you're talking about things that you want to see happen. And I'm so excited that we're able to talk about vision in the church, because I don't know about you, but the church that I grew up in, it didn't talk about vision at all. It was more about just attending. And so I hope that you're excited that we're a part of a, of a church, an organization that is looking forward Today we're going to be talking about vision for your community. You know, as I appreciate the teens as they got up here and did the welcome. You know, Jacob and uh, Lucy and the cheer. And, you know, that today is a huge day in the world. I mean, millions upon millions upon millions of people are gathering in communities for a football game. Right here, this is the stadium in New Orleans. And I think it seats about 85,000 people. And it's going to be packed to the brim. People are going to be having their, their, their cameras. They're going to be just having a great time all over our communities here. We're going to be having Super Bowl parties. They say that the Super Bowl is the most watched sporting event in the, throughout the year. People love doing it and watching it together within their communities. You know, you think about these two teams that made it to the Super Bowl. The San Francisco 49ers. The Baltimore Ravens. See, I got my cowboy uh, shirt on. I'm not a Romo fan. But I'm a DeMarcus Ware fan, and I appreciate uh, Craig Dickens. He let me borrow his jersey. But you think about you think about these two teams at the beginning of the year. Do you think they were setting out to not make the Super Bowl? All the teams in the NFL they had a vision. They all came into the preseason going, "Okay, what do we need to do to make this vision happen?" And now today, there's only two teams. Standing. 
the power of vision. When you have a vision, it'll motivate you and inspire you to do amazing things. Today, as we've read over the past few weeks, where there is no vision, the people will perish. And that's so true. You know, that happens throughout our world. It happens right here in our backyard. You know, we see families, when there's no vision for the family, families fall apart. When teenagers have no vision for the future, they get involved in things they shouldn't. They start doing drugs, they start smoking pot, they start having sex because they lack a vision. And where there is no vision, people will perish. You know, vision, it transforms our thinking. In order to have vision, you must not look back. You can't live in the, in the past. Vision motivates us to action. Vision describes where you will be in the future and what that future will look like. Today, again, we're talking about vision for your community. You know, Jesus... Jesus had great vision. We're going to talk about and see him today. And what motivated him and inspired him. Now you think about the communities that you live in, the neighborhoods that you live in. Would you say that the communities that you live in, that I live in, is there a great vision? Is there a great community environments where people know each other and they're in, involved in each other's lives? There's a reason that that's not happening. Do we have vision for our own neighborhoods and communities? How do we get vision for our community? How do we, we get that mm, and carry it out, that vision? So I believe vision is formed by your compassion. When you have compassion about something, Boy, that, that's going to that's gonna help you have an incredible vision. You know, think about, when I think about Jesus, all the healing he did, feeding the 5,000 people, taking care of the different needs. What was it that motivated him, that inspired him to do those things? And ultimately, what inspired him to go to the cross? He was moved by compassion. You know, Jesus saw his, saw a need, and his compassion moved him to meet those needs. Let's look at a scripture here in, he, in Matthew chapter 9. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. You know, right here we see Jesus Setting the example in the community. Where is he at? Where was he, what was he going through? He went through all the what? Towns and what? In other words, he was, he was going through different communities. And what was he doing? He was teaching. He was preaching. The good news. What is the good news? The good news is the gospel. The good news is about Jesus. The things don't have to stay the same way. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
You know, how did Jesus view the people within those towns and villages? Did he look at them and go, man, these people have it all together. These people have their nice homes. They have their nice cars. They have all the fixings that look like they have it together on the outside. But see, Jesus, he saw what was really going on. You know, it's kind of like an iceberg. You know, an iceberg, you know, from the, when you look at it, all you see is what, the upper third? And it's, it looks amazing, but what you don't see is how huge it is beneath the surface. And see, Jesus, when he saw people, he didn't see what was above the surface. He saw what was going on beneath the surface. And I think about as married, married couples, what's going on beneath the surface? I think about our teenagers, where, where the, the temptation to fit in is so huge, to, to just want to fit in and look like everything's going great. And that's above the surface. But when you ask the question, what's really going on beneath the surface? How are you really doing? How, what's really going on at home? What's really going on at school? Those are the tough questions that Jesus would ask. You see, Jesus, he had compassion because he saw people for where they were really at. He saw us as harassed and helpless. You know, and this really convicts me because I know I don't see people the way Jesus does all the time. It's so easy to get caught up in just life and you know, you get up in the morning and you go about your day or you go, to, you go to work and you see the people at work and everyone's just doing their thing. You see the people at school and everybody seems happy. And you don't see, you don't have vision like Jesus has vision. I don't see people the way Jesus sees people as harassed and helpless. I want to encourage us to have that vision for our communities it starts with compassion. You know, I pulled this uh, little chart up here, a study that they did. And it, the study talks about the division of our thought process. And it says that in this study of the people they surveyed, over 60% of the people that they spoke to just thought about themselves. Another 30% thought about themselves as well as other relationships. And the thing that was so powerful here is only 10% of the people that they surveyed even thought about others in an empathetic way. Why is that? Why is it so challenging for us as a people to be empathetic, to, to have compassion on people? Well, it's like I shared just a few seconds ago. I mean, our, our biggest struggle is we love to think about ourselves. <laughs> we think about our lives and all the struggles and all the things that we have to do. Can you relate to that? Yeah. We all have stuff going on. And when we, when we think that way, it just it pushes out the ability for us 
to see people's true needs. Let's pick it back up in verse 37. He said, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, Jesus here, he says that the harvest is plentiful. What does that mean? I believe it means that the, the, the needs are great in our world. The, the needs are humongous in our communities. And he says, but and the workers are few. There's, there's not enough workers, or there's not enough people within our communities that can help that are willing to help change the community. You know, I think about, think about my wife. And God knew who I needed to marry. And we just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary on February 1st. Amen. You know she loves me when she wears her University of Miami sweater, sweatshirt. And, to uh, church today. I appreciate that. I love you, babe. But I think about my wife, and, and many, many years ago, she had a vision for a community. And in 1987, as a single woman, she decided that she wanted to go into the harvest field and be one of those workers that helps a community get back to Jesus. And she left the comfort of America. She was living in Orlando, Florida, Mickey Mouse land. And she felt called to go to a third world country. And she moved to Mexico City, where the mission was, where the needs were so great. There's a picture of her. Back in 1987, she was celebrating her 21st birthday in, the, in that picture. And she's with another great sister named Renee Uribe. And there were just a few single sisters, single women that were on that mission team. And they realized if they went to, if they went to a foreign country, they probably wouldn't get married for a while. But they, they said, you know what? We don't care. God will meet our need. Because they had compassion. See, when you have compassion, it moves you to do incredible things. Things that don't make sense. Does it make, did it make sense for a, a woman who didn't even speak Spanish? Well, she thought she spoke Spanish. <laughs> did, it, did it make sense at, at 21 years of age... To move to a third world country, didn't know the language, to help Mexican people? That doesn't make sense. 21, you're like, let's, let's have a party, let's rock and roll. But that just shows you what compassion will do. And God knew that I needed that kind of person in my life. And God does that, if you understand what I'm saying, if you're married. And then this was back in 1997. This was the 10-year anniversary 
of that church planting in Mexico City. And that's Renee Uribe there on your left, uh, Barbara Porter, um, Becky Moyers. You guys remember Becky Moyers? And then, a, is that, what's that? There's something coming through the monitor here. Sounds like applause. I don't know what that was. And of course, my wife. And, you know, God did amazing things. There were 13 people that had a vision that moved from America to Mexico City. 13 people. And now, many years later, there's almost 4,000 that now worship in Mexico City. It started with 13. And how did it really start? Compassion. See, when you have a vision with compassion for a community, it'll turn the world upside down. Let's pick it back up. Verse 37. He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's so many needs. Think about the needs in your community, in your neighborhood. See, Jesus, I believe, is just asking us to care. Jesus is very simply saying, there's so, there's so many needs. The workers are few. I need someone to help me. And if Jesus were to look at you in the eyes and say, will you help me? He looks directly at you and says, can you help me? The workers are few. There's so many needs. Will you help me? What would you say back to Jesus? Considering all of the things that he's done, for you and your marriage. I know there are many marriages here that without Jesus would be over. Without Jesus, without someone extending that hand and helping, marriages would, would, would not be together right now. I think about our teens. Without Jesus, where would you be right now? music happening. I don't know what's going on. You know, like I said, for the teens, without Jesus, what would you be doing? You know, it was shared uh, last night, actually this week, that one of our teen disciples at school, they had a presentation where all of the kids had to do a presentation and share about you know, things in their life. And, and I don't know all the details there, but what, was, what I do know is that as these teenagers got up to do their presentation, they just, they, they spoke about things in their life that no one knew about. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what I heard about it. And they shared about, one kid shared that he brought in a picture. It was like a show and tell. And he brought in a picture with a dad and a, and a, and a kid hold his hand, and he just said, I wish that my dad would be there for me. And other, th other things were shared about be being a part of an alcoholic family. I mean, I've never heard anything like that before happening in a high school. 
But what it says is that our young people, they're looking for someone to help them. They're, they're, they're looking for someone to extend that hand and say, it's going to be okay. They're looking for that person who's just going to extend that compassion and say, you know what? I understand. Let's look at Jesus' eyes and let's be moved by compassion. You know, a lot of people, they may think, well, you know, I, I've never been trained. You know, I've never, I never went to school on how to help people. You know, I don't have a degree in psychology. You know what? You don't need a class or a degree or training to have compassion. Say that with me. You do not need a class or a degree or training to have compassion. It's within us. God created us to care. God created us to have a heart. And what are we doing with that? Right now, we're going to watch a video that talks about this. Let's take it off. We can dim the lights. Let's take it out.
very powerful video. Does anyone, anyone know what that video is depicting in the Bible? The Good Samaritan. Let's go ahead and read the actual scriptures that that video was talking about. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, here we see such a powerful story. And a man that was beaten on the side of the road, and it says that a religious man walked by and plainly saw, <coughs> plainly saw this man had been beaten. And what did the religious man do? Nothing. Just walked by. Why? A man who was religious, a man who went to church or synagogue every week, who prayed every single day, he saw someone that was in need and did absolutely nothing about it. I believe... For us, I think this is one of the reasons why Christians get such a bad name. Because I believe that we need to watch out for religious people. <laughs> we need to look carefully at religious people. That just because you go to church, just because you read your Bible, that doesn't mean anything if you're not willing to extend a hand and help. You know, um, this past year, I, every Tuesday and Thursday night, I would take uh, my son down to USC. And uh, he's on a volleyball team. And I would drop him off at USC, and I'd go down to McDonald's and do, do work. And, um, and this particular McDonald's is right down there, right downtown. <coughs> Excuse me. And... The kind of people that would come into this McDonald's uh, was kind of scary. You know, people that lived on the street, they were homeless. And I remember one, one gentleman in particular, and he was going around to the different people sitting at the booths, saying, hey, can, can you give me some money? Hey, can you give me some money? And everyone was like, no, 
no, no. And I was like, oh God, here he comes. Have you ever felt that? You ever thought that in your head? The guy on the end of the, you know, at the end of the ramp, you know, right there. You know, oh boy, he's looking at me. He's looking at me. Don't look. Okay, I, I, I can. I've been there. And so he's coming and he's coming toward me. He's like, hey, do you have any money? I was like, um. And I thought what most people think. If I give you money, you're probably going to go get drugs with it. I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. I said, you know what, how about this? How about I buy you some food? He's like, okay. So he literally runs up to the the register, and he goes, I want 50 chicken McNuggets. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I said, how about 10? You know, he's like, okay, great. And, you know, I, I, share, I share that in, in, in humility. You know, because just like in this story, I, I believe I'm one bad decision away from being just like that guy at McDonald's. I'm one bad decision away from being just like that person that's living on the street. I'm one bad decision away. The second guy in the story was a Levite. And Levites were known as being very legalistic. And what did he do? He just walked on by. He, he probably was on his way to church and had to get there early to, to do the singing for the synagogue. And so he, he, you know, he saw the guy there, and he's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm running late. And he chose not to help. And then we see the last guy, the Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans, in his historical terms, they, they were actually known as, like, dirty people, not to be associated with. And it says that the Samaritan, what did he do? He, he saw... The person that was in need extended his hand and helped him. He bound up his wounds, took care of him, picked him up, and helped meet his need. See, in this story, who are we? Are we the religious person in our community? The people know us as churchgoers? but we're not involved and not, don't have a vision in our community? Are we the Levite that thinks, well, someone else will meet the need? I'm, I'm too busy right now to stop what I'm doing. I believe God wants us to be like the third. That's willing to, to get our hands dirty. Because isn't that what Jesus did for, we, for us? We were the ones that had been beaten up by the world. We were the ones that were laying there in our own blood, we were the ones that had, had, had you know, been hurt and, and just had no one to help us. But Jesus stopped on his way and picked us up and took care of us. Why? What, why did he do that for us? Because he had a vision and he had compassion. You know, you may think, well, I can't help everybody. There's so many needs. I want to encourage you with this thought. <clears throat> Do for one 
what you wish you could do for everyone. See, so many times we, we don't do for one because we think, oh, if I, had, if I had to do it for this person, then that means I'm going to have to do it for everybody. So I might as well just not even do anything. Because if I do it for one, i got to do it for everybody. That's not true. If you do for one, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because if we had that kind of thought and that kind of care, a lot more needs would get met instead of no needs. What happens when we lack compassion? The absence of compassion leads to apathy. When we fail to have compassion for people, we can develop a spirit of, I just don't care. And when we have a spirit of, I don't care, what happens? We just think about who? Ourselves. When we have a spirit of not caring, we actually do care. We care about ourselves more than others. See, when you care, care will motivate you to connect with people. When you choose to care about someone, it's going to bring you closer. Because you're extending yourself. Let me ask you here, do you feel connected today? Do you feel connected to each other? If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. I believe you're here for a reason. Do you feel connected? Or do you feel like an island unto yourself? In your neighborhood, do you feel like an island to yourself? Do you know your neighbor's names? Do you, have you ever had like a housewarming party? And this, I, I can evict myself here. But I need to care more in my own community. You know, I think about <clears throat> many years ago when we were living in Nashville, Tennessee, home of the Tennessee Titans. And, um, and 9-11 had just happened. And we had just moved into a house. And 9-11 happened. Of course, it, it just rocked everybody. Do you remember where you were on 9-11? We all do. And unfortunately, what helps communities come together typically is tragedy. And so Anna, being the compassionate soul that she is, she's like, you know, we, we need to get out there and, and, and get our community together during this, this challenging time. And so she went door to door to say, hey, let's get together in our neighborhood. And she knocked on one, one uh, particular door and a, and a guy came out named Jeff, and he was just obviously just really emotional about what had just happened. And he was actually on his way out to go give blood. He, he wanted to help out. He wanted to do something. And so Anna said, okay, you know, that's awesome. Let's all meet together, and we can pray for our country. And so he came, brought his parents, brought her sister, and we, we started getting together. And through reaching out and helping out and help meeting that need, Jeff became a disciple. His sister became a disciple. So, so through tragedy, community comes together. Their parents became disciples. Just through having some compassion. It would have been so easy for us to just hunker down. 
in our house and just think about ourselves. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But I appreciate my wife saying that we need to go out. We need to help our community. Matthew 5 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You know, salt back in these days was a highly valued commodity. If you didn't have salt, what would happen to your food? It would go bad. Salt was used to preserve food from going rotten. There was, why? There's no refrigeration, right? They didn't have that, so they had to use salts. If you didn't have salt, you couldn't survive. You know, I love the scripture because the Bible says, you are the salt of the earth. He's saying, without you, things die. Without you, things will corrode. You, we're, we're like salt. We're a highly valued commodity to God. Salt is a significant thing. You know, you wouldn't be able to survive a summer or a winter without salt. You know, but also salt had a shelf life that it would go bad after a while. You know, I believe in our communities, you know, someone who does little, very little, will not feel significant in life. And I believe that in our church. If you're not involved, if you're not involved in a small group, if you're not involved in serving, I know inside your heart you will not feel important. That's the way God made us. God created us to help and to care and to serve. So if you're feeling like, oh, do people even know I'm here? You're the salt of the earth. You know, what else does salt do? Gives it, gives it flavor. Who, who likes salt on, on their food? Yeah, salt, salt just adds some zest. You are the salt of the earth. When you walk into church, when you walk into your school, when you walk into your high school, is there a zest there? When you walk into work, do you walk in with a, with a swagger? You got swag, teens? You got spiritual swag or swagometer? Is it on zero or is it on ten, your swagometer? See, if you're the salt of the earth, then you're going to walk around with confidence. You're going to walk around like, hey, I'm here for a purpose. Let's keep reading. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now he says, you're the light of the world. How significant is light? Without light, things die. Without you, people will die. You, you, you have an impact to be made. At your high school, you have an impact to be made. You're significant. 
No matter if you're the only disciple at your high school, or there's ten, you're important, and you can make an impact at your school. What kind of light are we? Verse 16, in the same way, let our light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, God wants us, those of us who call ourselves Christians, that we're lighting a path towards God. That we're a flashlight or we're a lighthouse to point people into a growing relationship with God. People who understand compassion in their lives will make a significant impact. I'm going to share another story about our family. You know, like I've shared, my wife is like queen of compassion. And many, many years ago, she's, she's always had the heart to adopt. And I really didn't have that heart. I was like, if we can have our own cotton picking, we're going to have our own. And we got pregnant with Bronson. And I was convinced that we were going to have a girl. And I, I told Anna, I said, okay, if, if we have a boy, then I'll be open to adopting. But I was convinced that we were going to have a girl. I wanted, I wanted to have a boy so we could carry on the name and all that good stuff. But I was, I, was, I was convinced that we were going to have a Brianna, not a Bronson. And so there, you know, Bronson, he comes out of the world, his boy, I'm like, okay. Now I need to, you know, think about what I told Anna and being open to adopt. And so we, we started the process. And, and I was read the scripture. It says, religion that... God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. So look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I mean, this scripture is powerful. He says, religion that is pure, that, that, that is, you can't get any purer than this kind of religion is what? to look after orphans, to look after widows in their distress. And that's just, that, that's compassion. And I lacked it. But through God and scriptures, I was like, okay, I need to repent in my compassion. Let me show you, this is a picture of an orphanage in Russia. And Anyone here want to tell me how many babies you think are in this crib? There's nine. There's nine babies in this crib. That's, that's not me there in the, in the picture there. But let me just tell you a little bit about the orphanages in, in Russia. Basically, these babies, they would stay in these cribs for over 20 hours a day. This is where they slept, and this is where they hung out 
for over 20 hours a day. These babies, they would only get five minutes of adult contact a day. Five minutes out of an entire day, they would be held by an adult. Because there were hundreds of these kids in Russia. So they just physically, they couldn't meet all the needs. So they could just, they'd hold them for five minutes, play with them, and then put them back in the crib. And I remember going, wow, these kids, what's their future? What's, what, what do they have to look forward to? And God moved it, moved in my heart. to see him. And we went and got him. And I think about the life that he would have had if we wouldn't have had compassion. But I think about all the other little babies who, who knows what happened to them. But when you decide to care, it changes people's eternity. It changes people. You know, and I think about our family now. There's little Roman now. <laughs> our little peanuts with the surfer hair. And we're a complete family. Do we have our struggles? Do we have our challenges? Heck yeah. But man, I can't imagine our family without Bronson and Roman. You know, when you choose to care, it changes people's eternity. I want to share, we're going to be having, on March 23rd, we're calling it a Family Blessings Reunion. And we're inviting anyone who has children that they've adopted, or they're currently fostering children, to come and meet with, with us here at the temple on March 23rd. We're going to just have a time together just to encourage each other. You know, reaching out into the community. Because, you know, there are challenges that go along with adopting and fostering in our communities. And so we just want to, if you have adopted children, we want to invite you to come. If you know people in your community that have adopted, we want to invite you to invite them. Because we all need each other. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, he says, clothe yourselves. What does that tell you? Do you wake up feeling compassionate? No. Do you wake up with all your clothes, you know, fully dressed, ready to go to work? No, you gotta you gotta clothe yourself every morning. Same thing, it's compassion. You gotta you gotta put it on. You gotta you gotta pray about it, you gotta think about it. It just doesn't happen naturally. Verse thirteen, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive 
as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Close out. I want to encourage you to ask the question, what moves you? What are you passionate about in your life? What, what, what in your community can you get involved in and show compassion? I encourage you to get involved in a small group. And we have different ministries, the sick and shut-in ministry, adoption. There's, there's so many other things that we can get involved in to reach out to our community. I want to encourage you, if you're visiting with us, check out the Core 4 Bible Studies. And that's where we learn how to have compassion and see the way Jesus sees things. And lastly, I want to encourage you guests, if you're guests or friends, today we're going to be having neighborhood Super Bowl parties all over the San Gabriel Valley. And, and go check it out and get to see what we're all about. We're not, we're not boring Christian people. I mean, when was the last time you went to a church service and everybody was wearing jerseys? That's pretty cool, huh? All right, let's wrap it up. Matthew 7. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. You know, this is another scripture that just really rang true for me. You know, it says that Jesus, who's now able to save completely, that, that should inspire us about Jesus. That Jesus doesn't half save people. He wants a full change. He wants a full conversion. He saves us completely. And he says, who came to come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is up in heaven, and he lives to intercede for us. I mean, he's fired up about interceding for you and me. When we're there and we've sinned and we've blown it and we're guilty, Jesus is up there before God and Satan. Satan's going, look what, look what Ted did. Look at what Laura did. Look what Mike did. And Jesus is going, no. No. He's with me. He's, Mike's with me. Jeff's with me. Kevin's with me, Satan. He lives in a seat. I think about, you know, Roman. And this was the courtroom in Magadan, Russia, in Siberia. And I had to go into this room, and there was a judge there and other court people. And, you know, Siberia is like ends of the earth, you know, kind of place. And, it, you know, it's like permafrost, like the ground is ice, okay? So people are just kind of like angry all the time. And so, I mean, people are just kind of hardened. I mean, just imagine it for yourself. And so, you know, the judge starts asking me, so are you going to take care of this little boy? And he started asking me questions. And I, I had to convince the judge. And I had to say, you know what? I'm going to love him no matter what. No matter what happens to him, I'm going to take care of him. Well, <laughs> 
no matter what happens, I'll be there. And it was so cool that the judge was so hardened. He just obviously didn't speak English, but the translator, as I started sharing about how I'm going to be there for him, I was interceding on Roman's behalf to the judge. And that judge started getting a little smile on his face. And he, he slapped the gavel down. He goes, I approve of this adoption. And this is me right afterwards. <clears throat> so I share all this. When you have a vision for your community, compassion is what's going to take you to the victory. Do you have compassion this morning for your community? If you don't, we've got to remember Jesus, who is living to intercede for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the compassion that he's shown us. God, I pray that as we take the communion, we'll be so moved and so thankful that Jesus lives to intercede for each one of us. Father, I pray that, that as we take the communion, we'll be inspired by your love. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take the communion, I'm going to be playing a song that I hope will help you to focus on Jesus.